We continue today with our series, Midsummer Monsters, those monsters that continually to plague us, hide under our beds or enter our closets. Sometimes we don't even like to reveal them to ourselves, but they are constantly with us and we need to deal with them on a day-to-day basis. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about anger, how we deal with that. Last week, we talked about guilt and that all of us in some way at some times feel guilty for who we are or what we've done or how we've treated somebody else. Today, we talk about fear, and all of us have fears. Some of them we willingly confess, others we keep to ourselves, but all of us have experienced fear in some way, shape, form, or fashion. I'd like to read to you today from the Gospel of Matthew, the tax collector's gospel, chapter 10, and we're going to go to the 26th verse. You can follow it on the screen or you can follow it in your Bibles, but this is what Matthew has written. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Do I have one more? I'll read this one. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. A little over 10 years ago, about, I guess it was closer to 12 years, I experienced a fear that I have never had before. Especially in all my years of flying, I never experienced this kind of fear. Laurie and I were on our way to New York to make arrangements for my daughter's wedding up at West Point. And we were flying um, one of the smaller jets, uh, a bombardier, CRJ-100. CRJ-100, Steve, you know those? They're a little smaller. But we were flying along, and we were about halfway through the flight, and suddenly it, it became almost like just a, a, an over overwhelming experience that I was trapped inside a little metal tube at 30,000 feet and I needed to get out. I needed to get out. You know, they frown on that at the airlines. They don't really like you to get out while the thing is flying. And I had a very, very difficult time because all of a sudden I felt very trapped. Laurie asked me what was wrong. I said nothing. And I got up and went to the back of the airplane. And I found one of those rows that was empty and you know the little things that you turn for the air conditioner? I had my face underneath that, just letting the cold air blow all over me. And after I stood there for about 20 minutes, the feeling passed away. I don't know, it was something about the cold air, something about the movement, maybe just the fact that I was standing looking like an idiot there in the back row with cold air blowing on my face that made me forget about being claustrophobic. Now, I can't tell you that that has happened again on an airplane. I can't remember. Every once in a while, I may have that fear, and I just suppress it. But I will tell you that every once in a while at home, it happens. I don't know why. I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll feel closed in. 
I'll feel like I'm trapped and I need to get out. Most people are going to frown if the pastor goes outside and runs around the community in his or her pajamas late at night. So what I usually do is go out and I walk around the house for a while, and then I go to the refrigerator and stick my head in the freezer. And that helps me because it's cold air and it is blowing on me. I don't feel bad about it, but when Laurie wakes up and sees me in the refrigerator with my face stuck in the freezer, she usually has a couple of comments. But I found that it helps. It really does. It helps me to feel a little less claustrophobic. And I don't know why I have it. For, it's, it's for no apparent reason. But somehow that coldness and that movement of air helps me. That fear, that claustrophobic fear can be overpowering. It can be paralyzing. And I'm not saying you have it. Some of you may have experienced it. But fear that way can be a very paralyzing experience. In the story of creation found in the book of Genesis, we read where Adam and Eve have partaken of the forbidden fruit, something that had been specifically denied to them. And knowing that God was searching for them after they ate the forbidden fruit, they hid. Now, for whatever kids we have in here, I asked this morning, we probably don't have any now, I asked, have you ever done something bad and then hidden from your mom and dad because you didn't want to face the fiddler? You didn't want to face mom and dad. I think that story out of Adam and Eve is reminiscent of us in our childhood when we have done something wrong and we knew it was wrong and we were fearful as to what was going to happen, so we ran and hid. Well, we know that in the story, God finally finds Adam and Eve. He was looking for them as if he didn't really know where they were already. And he asked them, why are you hiding? Do you remember what the response of Adam was? Because I was afraid. I was afraid. I think it's a very poignant story because it teaches us that fear is a part of our natural human characteristics. To experience fear is to be human. And sometimes we are afraid of everything. We are afraid of ourselves. We are afraid of other people. We're afraid of the past, the future, the present. We're afraid of life. We're afraid of death. Just keep the numbers going. We're just fearful. We let those things build up inside of us. Recently, Americans have responded to a a survey talking about what's your worst fear? What's the thing that you fear the most? 51% of us are afraid of snakes. To me, a lot more should be afraid of snakes, more like 91%. 40% of us are afraid of public speaking. I know what that fear is like, right? 40%. 36% of us are afraid of heights. 34% of us are afraid of closed spaces, claustrophobic. 21% of us are afraid of needles and shots. And 18% are afraid of flying on an airplane. And that more than doubles if you tie in claustrophobia. If you're afraid of flying and you're afraid of closed spaces, you shouldn't get on an airplane. You should take the train. There's no question that fear is real, and the Bible isn't serious or isn't silent about it. If you go to 2 Timothy, these words are written, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love, of a sound mind. Now, the word in that passage comes from the Greek, and it's only used once in the New Testament. It's phobos, 
Phobos. It means running scared. Running scared. So where do you, what word do you think in the English language do we get from the word Phobos? Phobia. Phobia. Do you know that there are over 500 categorized phobias? You can go to a website. Of course, everything you read on the internet's true, so you need to go on the website and check that out. 500. And over 50 million Americans suffer from some kind of phobia. Some kind. Now, I looked them up, and I want to I share a couple with you. Some you'll recognize, some you want. Claustrophobia. That's a fear of closed, confined spaces. Dentophobia. That's the fear of dentist. Okay? Pentherophobia. That's the fear of your mother-in-law. Okay? Homilophobia. That's the fear of sermons. None of you have that, right? None of you have that. Okay. This one's a good one. I can't even say it. Iracobutyrophobia. That's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Okay? And the last one, I think, was just thrown in there to throw me off. Liposlipophobia. That's the fear of being pursued by timber wolves running around the kitchen table wearing socks on a freshly waxed floor. I just know some of you are going to go home after lunch and try that, I'm sure. But you know, fear is not part of God's will in our life. God knew that we would have to deal with fear from the very, very beginning. And that's why the phrase, fear not, appears 189 times in the Bible. Fear not, because God knew that we'd have to deal with it. So how do we use this this fear? How, How do we get rid of this monster of fear in our lives and try to deal with it? Well, first, I think we have to understand that fear itself can be a positive characteristic. It's almost God's gift to us under some circumstances that fear is good for us. When I'm at the zoo, And I want to get across that fence so I can pet the little lion cubs because they look so sweet. There's fear that keeps me on this side of the fence because mama and papa lion are over here someplace and I'm fearful about what they might do. We're all very busy people. Most of us drive cars. Some of us drive really fast. My wife this morning was driving 15 miles over the speed limit coming here, and it was only fear of the guy with the little car that has the red and blue lights that she slowed down. I think I shared that with you last week, talking about guilt. She didn't know I was going to use that for an illustration, so I need to come home to one of your houses after the sermon today. And in April, we all have a certain degree of fear. And it's only our basic honesty that grants us a powerful assist from our fear of the IRS and how much money they need from us or how much money we're getting back. These are the things that we are legitimately fearful of. We've got a little built-in voice that God's given us. Don't go there. There's danger lurking, lurking. That's why when we teach our children, what do we teach our children? Don't cross the street without looking both ways, right? Because we don't want them to do that. And what do we want to teach our teenagers after they get their license? Don't drive fast. Fast is not good. Don't drive fast. So we have a certain degree of fear, and some of those we teach also. 
It keeps us from doing dumb and destructive things. Fear is like an alarm system. It's like our uh, home security system, if you will. At the appropriate time, the bells go off, the lights go off, we get a sudden burst of energy, and it keeps us from doing a dumb or stupid thing. It's a normal reaction. Stories told about a mother who was tucking her son in for bed one night. There was a thunderstorm outside, lightning flashing, thunder going. And his little voice piped up and says, Mommy, could you sleep with me tonight? And his mother lovingly reached down and kissed him on the forehead and said, Now, you know I have to sleep with Daddy. The little boy said, Yeah, you're right. Daddy's just a big sissy, isn't he? We all have fears. We all have to deal with them in certain ways. Fear can be a positive role in our our lives. Sometimes it helps us to truly depend on God. Most of us have short memories. We think we're in control of everything, especially when life is going well. But when things don't go well, when the wheels start to fall off the proverbial cart, when something traumatic happens in our lives, we have a tendency to immediately go to God. What's the old phrase? There are no atheists in foxholes, especially when the bullets start flying over your head. All of us search out God, especially during those fearful times. Sometimes we even go as far as to say, God, we're going to change our behavior. We're going to change how we act. If you'll just get me out of this situation, man, I'll go to church every day. I'll tithe 10%. I won't forget who you are. And then, of course, when things get better, what happens? Oftentimes we forget we forget. But thankfully, we serve a God whose promises are eternal. He never forgets. So even during our darkest times, our most fearful moments, God is there to fill in the void, and God answers. The second thing we need to learn is that some of our fears of our own creation, we are our own worst enemies when it comes to dealing with the monster of fear. Now, there are some fears that are very real. Terrorism in our world is a very real fear, a very real threat. But there are some things that we just make up in our minds that are fed by our worry and our anxiety to become a paralyzing fear. Have you ever stopped taking medicine that was prescribed to you for something that you were trying to get cured of because you were afraid of the side effects. Luann and Shirley are pointing fingers at each other right now. Have you ever done that? All you got to do is watch the TV. You know, they give you this thing, and then there's a long list of possible side effects. It scares me, and I don't even have those diseases. Have you ever been afraid to get close to somebody because you feared their rejection? Have you ever been afraid to get in front of people and say or do something because you didn't want to look stupid, foolish, dumb? Those are fears that we all have. Those are fears that are not really tangible. Most of them we make up. You know, nobody's going to belittle you because you don't take your medicine. Well, surely may belittle Luann or back and forth. I'm not sure. <clears throat> and nobody's going to belittle you because you have a intimacy because we all need that intimacy. But some of those fears are just simply irrational. We build them up in our mind. We make them worse than they they possibly can be. 
The number two fear after snakes, which I really think should be like 91%, the number two fear is speaking in public. There are a lot of people who just don't like to speak in public. We have anybody here that doesn't like to speak in, in public? You know, some people would walk across hot coals before you get up and speak in public. They just can't do it. They don't want to do it. But in the absence of real fear, we create fears in our minds. And it can be a real paralyzing effect. There was a Navy man. Navy man who wanted to be a movie writer, a script writer. And he wrote a movie script about his famous naval hero, John Paul Jones. And he sent it out to Hollywood. He sent it to Paramount Pictures, to a Miss Julia West who was the story editor for Paramount Pictures. And she read it, and she rejected it, sent it back, stamped rejection across it. And this writer later later told Julia in a face-to-face conversation how that rejection had hurt him, how he was so afraid to ever write anything again because he had this fear of rejection. It was a paralyzing fear. And the only way he got over it was with the help of God and realizing that sometimes you have to push through a paralyzing fear and just be everything that you can be. Just push ahead. And that's exactly what this man did. He was never a great movie script writer. But in March 1933, he addressed the United States of America as the newly elected president, Franklin Delanor Roosevelt. And he would later write these words, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Reasonable and normal fears, they protect us from danger. But other fears can paralyze us. Sometimes they're real, sometimes they're imaginary. And if we let them paralyze us, we also can let them destroy us. You know, the most common fears that we have in life are things that are totally out of our control. You know, I can't tell you that all of you are going to have successful marriages. Can't do that. You can work at it, but you can probably have a fear of whether it's going to be successful or not. I can't tell you that you're going to have successful jobs because things could happen. Things could happen to your company. It could go bankrupt. It could go moved overseas. You can worry about it all you want. You can have a fear about it, but it's out of your control. I can't tell you that you're always going to be healthy or that your family's going to be healthy. We can do things to improve our health, but there's no way that I can ever give you a guarantee and ever take away that fear unless you're going to give that over to God. Which brings me to my last point. How do we handle this monster of fear? You already know the answer. That's how we handle all these monsters. It's faith. It's faith in God. That's the only antidote that will extradite these fears, help us to deal with them, is to give them over. If you think you allow them to paralyze you, they're going to destroy you. These are the types of things we truly need to let go of and let God. Let me read you some verses that you hear all the time. These are verses from the Bible. And the reason I'm telling you this, I want you to look at them with new eyes in a different context so that they might have a different meaning in your daily lives. Surely it is God who saves us. Let us trust in him and not be afraid. 
How about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? How about this one? You hear this every year, too. We get to sing songs. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And there is no fear in love, because perfect love cast out fear. I've been around long enough and done enough funerals that I really understand that Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, is a very comforting psalm. And whatever fears you experience, I think that's a good place to go to in the Bible and to read that psalm and to take it to heart. Because in that psalm, you'll see in the fourth verse, David declares, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And you might ask, why, David? Why? Why are you so unafraid? And he answers it in the same breath, because thou, God, art with me. If we believe that, if we trust in that, if our God is with us, then we truly have nothing to fear. Nothing can come down the street that God and you cannot handle together. This week at camp in the city, the kids were singing and jumping up and down, and counselors were holding up little finger, pinky. And it was all of a way to remind you that even the weakest part of Jesus' body, his human body, was enough to see us through whatever fears or tribulations we might have. The weakest part is enough for us to trust in and to believe in and to take our fears away. And the kids were jumping up and down like, man. Now, if we believe that, if we apply it to our lives, then our lives change. To believe that is to have a cure of excessive fear, whether it be real or irrational. God says, I will never fail or forsake you, for my grace will be sufficient for you. We will never be immune to fear. But we have someone who can take that fear away from us. Let me remind you, whatever happens, God is with us. If the Dow Jones goes down 10,000 points tomorrow, all of us will be afraid for our retirements. But will things really have changed? Because God is still with us. And God is still in control. If we go to war with North Korea or some Middle East country, will things really be different? No. Because God is still with us and God is still in control. If you go to the doctor and get a prognosis, a diagnosis that's bad, does it really change anything? No. Because God is still with you, and God still loves you, and God is still, still in control. So why do we fear? If we believe, why do we fear? In the end, the secret to overcoming our fear is to realize how much God loves us. Jesus uses the analogy of the sparrows in the, in the scripture I gave you. And in the eyes of the ancient world, the sparrows were practically monetarily worthless. Luke tells us you can buy two for a penny. Two for a penny. 
And yet Jesus tells us this, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Let me close today with a story. Back in the early part of the century, Olivia Martin and her husband were spending some time in Elmira, New York. And they met a couple, Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. They became close and fast friends up there in Elmira. And Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for over 20 years. She couldn't even get out of bed. And her husband had been in a wheelchair for almost 12. And their health, both of them, was declining. And the Martins would come and visit. And one day, Mr. Martin was listening to Mrs. Doolittle out in the kitchen. She was singing along. And he commented about how bright her hopefulness was, how, how effervescent she was. And he asked her, what's your secret, Mrs. Doolittle? How, how can you be so hopeful and bright and cheerful? And she responded with these words. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Mrs. Martin wrote that down. Then she wrote a poem using those words. She sent it off to Charles Gabriel, and he put it to music. In fact, many of you are probably senior enough to know Ethel Waters. She made the song famous. Matter of fact, it's the title of her autobiography. You've heard the words before. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eyes on the sparrow. And I know he watches. Is it a time we let go of our fears and truly trusted in God? Because without our faith and our trust in God, this monster of fear will paralyze and dominate our lives, whatever your fear may be. And you have to realize that in the end, after everything is said and done, his eye is on each and every one of us. And he loves us, and he's in control. Amen.